when it comes to messing up someone's pronouns, just for, as, as an easy example of like when a, a mistake might happen, um, and it does happen, I mess up people's pronouns too. There are neural pathways in our heads, there are habitual responses as, as we're getting used to something like we're going to mess up, it's going to happen. And what's most important to do is to um, apologize, correct and to think about that moment later on, but not make a huge deal out of it in the moment. Um, you don't need to give like a four minute long monologue about how much of an advocate you are. Um, the moment it happens. And the other thing I encourage people to do with that, you know, pronoun example is to think about that moment later on. So when you think about that person, what pronouns are you using in your head? And to to start to bring some of your own awareness to like, how am I thinking about this person? How do I see this person's gender? And is it aligned with how they feel themselves to be? We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space. A space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. As a cisgender white middle class person, I have been working hard to become an advocate for other people, anyone who is a minority of any kind. One of my hurdles, and one that I think is common for many people, is that I am mostly surrounded by people who look like me. So when I have the opportunity to meet someone outside of my life's experiences, and we can meet in a safe place to learn from each other, it's a moment that I have come to treasure greatly in helping me to expand my worldview. That is why Mary and I were so happy to invite Silen Wellington to the podcast. Silen is a member of the LGBTQ plus community and is striving to make the world a better place as the Alliance for Suicide Prevention's LGBTQ plus Youth Outreach Coordinator. Silen believes every young person needs a space to explore who they are and be witnessed for their unique gifts. Silen's background is in psychology and music composition and they are passionate about mental health, advocacy, and community building. Outside of work, they enjoy world building through performance art, harvesting stories, continual transformation, and unhinged, unfettered, unapologetic dance. Silent Superpower is creating spaces where people feel safe to come closer to their authentic selves. Silent, we welcome you to the third place. Yay, Silent. I've been so excited to bring you onto the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So a little bit of context for our listeners as to how I first met you. Um, I got to do a tea and meaningful conversations. I guess it was like a workshop at the teen self-care fair in Fort Collins, just down the road from me here in Colorado. And um, this is all a part of the Alliance for Suicide Prevention in Larimer County. And I'll never forget the start of the whole event. You participated with uh, the person that brought it on and talked about the importance of our name tag and how we were really transparent with our pronouns for that day, how powerful that was and the exchanges we were going to have at the event. But for 
really anytime. Um, and just that awareness and that advocacy, I'd love for you to share with our listeners what your role is with the Alliance for Suicide Prevention to start, and then also how you landed in the space of being an advocate for pronouns and really educating those that have never even started this conversation. Yes. So I started working at the Alliance for Suicide Prevention about a year ago, recently um, hit my one year anniversary, which is exciting. And I am the LGBTQ plus coordinator. And a lot of that work um, is advocacy. So we have some, some grants that are federal directives that kind of outline a more comprehensive approach to suicide prevention that hasn't really been rolled out in other places in the country right now. And some of that work is advocacy in schools, you know, ensuring workplaces has inclusive policies, things that have traditionally been kind of far outside the realm of suicide prevention. Um, so the Alliance for Suicide Prevention of Larimer County said, okay, all of the, there's a subset of tasks that are really focused on LGBTQ plus people and especially LGBTQ plus youth because we are at higher risk for suicide, we should hire a coordinator from that community to be doing and spearheading some of this work. So that's that's where I came in. And for me, it's really thrilling that, you know, even at this national level, some of these advocacy pieces are being seen as important for our mental health, that we're not just looking at people as, you know, individuals in a vacuum, we're looking at them in their in their contexts and in the environments they're in. And for for so many of us in the LGBTQ plus community, when we're navigating systems that aren't set up with us in mind, it can do real damage to our mental health. And I think that's what we're seeing in such high rates of suicidality, especially among LGBTQ plus youth. And I came to the world of advocacy work uh, pretty, pretty young. Um and I, there was a gay straight alliance at my high school, you know, back in 2011, 2012. And I went thinking I was an ally. I was like, I just want to, you know, advocate. <laughs> you know, lo and behold, here we are now. I realized I was transgender and non-binary and queer a little bit later on. Um, but advocacy has always been really important to me and uh, like all forms of so social justice and different organizations I worked with as a young person and doing some of that advocacy work was really formative for me and finding a sense of purpose and in healing from my own suicidality story. Mm. Yeah, I, I was even thinking, you know, to even start too. what are pronouns and what are your pronouns? You know, my pronouns are she, her, David's is he, him. Yeah, I'm realizing I didn't even say my name at the beginning of this podcast episode. <laughs> um, hello, everyone. My name is Silent, as in silent without a T. I use they, them, or he, him pronouns. And pronouns are a way to respectfully refer to someone in the third person. Most people have them. There are um, some non-binary folks, some trans folks who don't want you to use pronouns, who just want you to use their name. But the majority of people do have pronouns, even if you don't think about it, or even if you've never thought about your own pronouns before. And a pronoun doesn't really tell you a lot about someone's identity. It can make certain indications about their identity. But really what a pronoun is about is how to respectfully refer to someone in the third person. It's kind of like a person's name. So when I when I say my name is Silen, that means I I would like for you to call me Silen, not some other name. 
Um, and similarly with pronouns. So if I were to leave the room and you were talking about me or I was going to be a speaker at your organization or your event and you were given a little bio about who the speaker was, you would be using they pronouns or he pronouns. So you would say, Silen has done suicide prevention work for one year. He is living in Colorado currently and, and so forth. Um, so that's an overview of what, what pronouns are. And the reason that they're so important, especially for transgender and non-binary folks, is that many of us are dehumanized in a lot of spaces. And there are lots of societal messages about, about gender and gender experience that sometimes makes it hard to view ourselves as possible if we are trans or non-binary. Um, and some of us have been called the wrong name for our whole lives or called the wrong pronoun for our whole lives and being referred to with the correct pronouns, with the correct name that feels aligned with our internal sense of self um, can really go a long ways towards helping us feel seen. And it's also respectful. It's a way to respect us and respect our identities and I think the other important piece of pronouns is that it, you don't, you don't have to necessarily get it. You don't necessarily need to understand why I like using they, them as a singular pronoun for myself. And, you know, we could get into a whole debate about grammar if we wanted, but for me, that's not the important part. For me, the important part is respect and compassion. And I think everyone can show each other respect and compassion in the ways that feel respectful and compassionate to the person they're trying to show it to without necessarily having to understand all the nuance of why, why I need that to feel seen. Right. I love that perspective of respect because I, I can immediately gravitate towards that. Um, it, this doesn't feel quite apples to apples, you know, but it, but it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, in where I live is a large Christian influence. And so at, during the holidays, there's usually a debate of Merry Christmas versus happy holidays, you know, and I, I have a Christian background too. So I can, understand like this idea of, you know, why I want to say Merry Christmas because it's part of a tradition, right? But to me, the debate is so much more about respect. Like it's not that Happy Holidays doesn't acknowledge uh, a Christian viewpoint, but it is much more respectful for all people. And and that's where I, like, I, I honestly love the phrase Happy Holidays because it is a sign of respect to me. It's not a sign of disrespect for a particular people group it is a sign of respect to all people and so it feels similar like i don't understand all religions i don't know all religions i don't understand and i don't have to understand the need for different pronouns but it is offering a version of respect to all people and can we start with that as just to be human is to offer one another respect yeah i was thinking about that too i love that you brought it up because i feel like a lot of times when we get uh, to a place we're trying to backtrack and understand that and it distracts from like this is just from this human place and that's so much of what we're trying to do in the third place and talk about is like wait it's just about rehumanizing if just for that then is that not enough um i would be curious from your experience what did it look like for you to discover your own pronouns for me, the, the first step in self-discovery was seeing other trans and non-binary people and meeting them for the first time 
Um, because for a long time in my life, I didn't even know trans people existed, you know, in, in my education, it was very, the, the options I had available to me were very boy, girl, boy, girl. And in high school, I actually did meet my first out trans person who was coming out at the same time that I was in high school. Um, but the, the majority of narratives that were happening in the mainstream discourse around transgender folks were pretty binary. And they were leaning on some of those stereotypical narratives that we might be familiar with, such as like, I was born in the wrong body, or I always knew, or I'm experiencing so much distress from like living in this wrong body. And those things didn't feel true for me. So I didn't really see that as an available avenue or as a as a, a reason that I was feeling so, so lost in my own identity and in my own idea of selfhood. And I do want to put a pin in that, um, stereotypical narratives to, to say I'm not criticizing any trans people who na- those narratives are true for. And there are lots of elders in our, in our community who really had to conform to those narratives to access any kind of trans affirming healthcare or transition related, um, legitimacy within the eyes of society. And it's really exciting that those things are changing now. And, you know, you can access gender affirming care without necessarily having to conform to some of those narratives. And for me, my, my process of discovery, I think happened when I, when I was 19 and I met non-binary adults for the first time. And I saw within them this glimmer of recognition and this glimmer of something that felt familiar. And I just found myself really allured by them, not romantically, but, but just by like wanting to like talk to them and be near them and ask them questions about their experience. And I remember asking them, you know, what, what does masculinity mean to you? And that, that question really opened up a lot of doorways for me because I had only seen masculinity as, as something toxic, as something that was, you know, the root of a lot of, of problems in the world, um, in its toxic forms. Um, but for them, I saw them embodying something that I, that I came to understand as like a queer masculinity. Um, and we can get it in, I, I have a mixed relationship even with that word masculinity and like femininity, because sometimes yeah. they feel really meaningless. Um, and at other times they feel meaningful. Um, yeah. I do too, yeah. you know, and I think that that's, that's definitely part of the conversation is, is reclaiming what healthy masculinity and healthy femininity look like. Uh, because especially in masculinity, we don't, we don't see a very healthy one very often. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, so hearing their pronouns and just seeing that as an avenue led me to, to start exploring that for myself. Um, and it was gradual at first. I started, I joined a trans community choir that was open to allies. So that's how I convinced myself I could go, even though I wasn't identifying that way. Um, you know, I just wanted to be an advocate, right? <laughs> and yeah. started, experimenting in some of those spaces that felt really safe with they, them pronouns. Um, and yeah, I, I have a friend who we, we talk about, we should like make a meme about this or something. I think there's this perception sometimes by, by cis people that like, Oh, the trans person finds their pronouns. And then it's like the whole world is like, Oh, ah, like everyone's singing and it's all great. <laughs> and like, it's, you know, it's a little weird at first when you're trying on a new name or when you're trying on new pronouns. And I had to, I had to like grow into it and like, um, it took, 
it took a, a few months to feel like, oh, okay, I like this in this space. Now let me try it in other spaces. And similar with different names that I was trying as well. Um, yeah, and I, I feel really grateful for the people in my life at that time and the people who are still in my life who were really offered me the gift of that exploration and were like, cool, like you want to use this name and it might change three months later. Like, that's fine. Like, I'll try it. I'll do my best. You want to use these pronouns? They might change later. Like, I will try them out. And that was really helpful for me in, in figuring out like what, what was going to resonate and what felt most true. Yeah, that permission to, to just like be creative and try things on for size, I would imagine is such a huge piece of it. So you mentioned that you started to learn that you had they, them, he, him pronouns in 2011. I actually learned about non-binary pronouns at a similar time. I was going to college and had just gone through a training to be a rape crisis hotline counselor. And so we went through a lot of education on non-binary pronouns and I learned Zzer as the alternative to she and him. It felt like a brand new language to me. And I feel like maybe some people feel that when they're learning even they, them, it feels more like a new language. Was it Zzer in 2011 for you too? Or had you started to adopt they, them at that time? Yeah, when um, the, the folks that I met who were were mentors to me were using they them pronouns and I'm not super familiar with with the history of neo pronouns um but from I've never heard that before yeah so neo so neo pronouns n e o as a prefix yeah. meaning new just refer to pronouns that have been invented in the in the last how, however long few decades or so um and right yeah so some non binary folks um want want to use other other pronouns besides they them um like z's and zers or there there's a whole whole set of them like there's a long list of different sorts of pronouns um and it the reasons for like why a non-binary person might want they them versus neo pronouns versus both or some combination are usually pretty personal but yeah those those pronouns are still around i know people who use z's and zers pronouns for instance um mm-hmm. for me they them just felt more comfortable yeah, I mean, for me personally as well, as someone that's also trying to show that respect at every turn, I remember when I first heard Zezer, it felt like, whoa, this is a, like, I had never even heard these words before. So it was harder for me to integrate, like just in the way that I was trying to, to show up. And so it's been easier for me with they, them, just as someone who is cisgender, like in my conversations with other, I've just noticed that that comes more naturally than what felt like words that really didn't roll off the tongue for me. So I've personally, as a cisgender person, really felt like I could integrate it easier. And I didn't even know what neo pronouns meant until now. So thank you. And also, um, I love to go back that one of the things that I found that was really profound that I think we sort of brushed over really quickly, though, is that identity is not synonymous with like sexuality too because I think that that often comes up as a uh, misconception that pronouns has anything to do with that and I remember as a teenager being like 
oh, it felt so obvious once I learned that, but it was also crazy that that was something that I needed to learn. Yeah. So in this sort of 101 setting, it's really important to think about sexual orientation or romantic orientation and gender identity as living on, on two different spectrums or even on in two different universes of non-binary spectrums. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, pronouns don't indicate anything about someone's sexual orientation as an identity. And I think sometimes there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, and I certainly experience people who you know, make assumptions sometimes about my sexuality because of being trans or non-binary. And I'm always very perplexed by it. I'm like, I don't know what gender you think I am or like who you think I'm into, but like, it's just like very bizarre to me. Um, I had a friend recently who like came out to their professor as trans and their professor was like, wait, but I thought you had a girlfriend. And it's like, so I'm right. like, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah. You don't think trans people can have girlfriends? Um, right. Yeah. So it's, it's really important not to make assumptions about someone's sexuality based on their gender or their gender presentation. Or, you know, even, even if you know they're married to someone, that doesn't necessarily mean you know what their sexual orientation is. Um, so I, I want to say that first. And I also want to say that sexuality and gender are in conversation with each other. And there are lots of trans and non-binary people, myself included, who, you know, our sexuality informs our experience of gender or our experience of gender is informing our sexuality. And those, those things are not necessarily discrete. We can't pull them apart from each other because we're experiencing all of them together. Um, so both both of those things are true. The don't make assumptions and these things are in conversation with each other. Right. When when you were first kind of having your um you know the first moment that you felt safe or felt you know connected to a uh, older people in this space, you talked about how it felt like a gift. And I think one of the reasons why I was really excited about this conversation is that you know I want to try to learn how to be a better advocate. We talked right before we started recording about how, you know, I'm, I'm white, I'm male, I'm middle class, I'm from the Midwest, I'm straight. So kind of all those check boxes of privilege, I, uh, I have the experiences with. Um, and so I, I get excited about learning how to be a better advocate for all different kinds of people, um, that uh, present differently that are a minority in any way, shape or form. Um, and so, one of the things that I would love to learn how to do is be that gift, right? To learn how to have better pronouns. The reality is for me, I don't know anyone in the transgender or non-binary space. Um, I now more and more see it in stores when we see the pronouns on like a name tag. And that is really helpful for me. Um, one of the questions I have is I know if I want to present like a safe space for someone else, I also am probably going to make mistakes. And so how can I be good at approaching a mistake? If I use the wrong pronouns uh, for someone, or if I say something that is offensive, that I certainly don't mean to be offensive, what posture can I bring to that at that moment to still show advocacy? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that question, because I feel like it 
you know, that, that question live, lives in me too, um, in relation to this conversation, but also in relation to like other social justice spaces and as a white person, like wanting to, to be an advocate for BIPOC folks and knowing that I'm going to mess up sometimes. And how do I approach that with humility? How do I approach that with grace? How do I approach that? Um, you know, still believing in my inherent worth and my capability to grow, um, is those are some of the questions or thoughts that I, I bring to that. Um, and when it, when it comes to messing up someone's pronouns, just for, as, as an easy example of like when a, a mistake might happen, um, and it does happen, I mess up people's pronouns too. There are neural pathways in our heads. There are habitual responses as, as we're getting right. used to something like we're going to mess up. It's going to happen. And what's most important to do is to um, apologize, correct and to think about that moment later on, but not make a huge deal out of it in the moment. Um, you don't need to give like a four minute long monologue about how much of an advocate you are. Um, the moment it happens, like if I were to misgender Mary and I was like, oh, Mary, they were going to the store. I might say, oh, sorry, I mean, she, Mary, she was going to the store and just correct it in, in quickly in the, in the moment. Um, and the other thing I encourage people to do with that you know, pronoun example is to think about that moment later on. So when you think about that person, what pronouns are you using in your head? And to to start to bring some of your own awareness to like, how am I thinking about this person? How do I see this person's gender? And is it aligned with how they feel themselves to be? And to to just start noticing when when you might misgender them in your head, or and maybe that looks like if you're not very fluent in they, them pronouns, for instance, maybe that looks like writing out some sentences just to practice, just to get used to like what, what that is. Mary mentioned that it feels like learning a new language and that, that can be true, true for a lot of people. Um, it takes some getting used to. Um, and when it comes to other mistakes, there are lots of moments that occur that we might not even be aware of. So there's, there's, this realm of mistakes of like, oh, I said that weird thing. Like, I want to apologize for that and, and repair the relationship. That's one category of mistake. But I think there's a lot of mistakes that happen that we're not even aware of. You know, we might say something that makes someone uncomfortable right. or lands in the wrong way and they, they might not tell us and we might never know. Um, and those ones I think are, you know, a little, a little trickier to correct. And I think that's part of the ongoing journey of learning of, you know, reading about LGBTQ plus issues and topics and, you know, fiction written by those people to, to wrap our heads around that experience and to draw more of our awareness to notice when, when we are making mistakes. Um, and to, to cultivate relationships with the people around us that, are open and receptive to hearing feedback. Um, so if, if someone sees you get really defensive, if you, if they give you feedback, like they're not very likely to give you feedback again, right? So when, when those moments do happen, you know, saying thank you, thank you for telling me about that. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to think about this and to really do some of that internal work to change your behavior. Um, such that people do see you as a safe person to, I can give David feedback, like I can correct the pronouns David's using and it's not going to explode and it's going to yeah, bring us closer yeah. together and make us feel more human together. Right. Yeah, I've noticed in my own journey of uh, being able to use non-binary pronouns more fluidly in the beginning, it felt more energetically 
tiring for me because I noticed that my brain was like, I was really trying to think and bring attention to things. And then just with that practice, it became less energetic. And it also, when I would think about that energy of what it took, it gave me such compassion for someone too, that was trying to understand their own pronoun, let alone me trying to just acknowledge it as accurately as I possibly could. So just wanted to share that I've like recognized that it didn't come naturally at first, but it wasn't that it wasn't for lack of trying. It was just like exercising a new muscle. And I am so grateful for how much in media and the opportunities to put our pronouns on our Zoom tag and our social media, like those are the things that really are helping me. And I I hope many be able to think about it outside of just inside of their head or with within uh, personal relationships, because like David, I mean, from what he knows, he doesn't have any friends that have they, them pronouns, but now at least you're starting to be able to have more experience and practice around it, regardless of if you have a personal relationship. Yeah. And not know yet, you know, hopefully my human experience continues to expand and just be more inclusive with all people. So, Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we come to wrap, I learn so much every single time. But one thing that comes up, so I have a four-year-old, almost five-year-old at home, and everything to him right now is, is that, you know, on Sing 2 we were watching just recently, is that pig a boy or a girl? Like, I can't tell you how often it comes up right now, and it seems clearly very, it's very developmental, right? Do you have any experience with young kids and how you've brought that conversation in as this time is so about that binary perspective? That would probably need to be like a whole other podcast <laughs> and like a parenting <laughs> advice. Whoa, way out, yeah. whoa, out of, out of my wheelhouse. But um, <laughs> I can give like a, a little bit of a response because it is like I've been thinking about it. My, my sister had a, a baby recently who's almost six months old now. And I'm just like, orienting to that is so curious. I'm like, Oh, like, and Mm -hmm. I kind of have my own anxiety questions related to that of like, Oh, how is my sister gonna like describe my identity to this baby and like, um, that kind of thing. And I mean, the first thing to acknowledge is that there are trans people who know they're trans from like age three from a very young age. Right. And one of my friends, even like her, her three-year-old is extremely gender expansive, like assigned male at birth, but says, I might be a girl mommy and like is wearing dresses and you know, all these, all these things. So that is already happening like in the world amongst three-year-olds. And I think, you know, censoring that from a cisgender, perhaps cisgender four-year-olds experience is, is doing it, doing them a detriment. Um, so you know, started, there are age appropriate ways to have those conversations to say, oh, you know, there are some people who aren't boys or girls. And, you know, that that's okay. That's a part of human experience. Um, and to, to explain those things. And I, I think sometimes we underestimate children. Um, totally. I've had non-binary friends who worked with six and seven year olds. And one story they told me was like, this uh, kid came up to them and they were like, hey, like, are you a boy or a girl? And my friend said, I think, you know, technically you could say I'm a girl who looks like a boy. And the 
the seven-year-old got this huge smile on their face and they were like, I knew you were both and just like ran away, like all excited. So like, I think there are ways in which like that, that sort of thinking is not, is not so fixed for a kid than it, it might be with, for an adult who has gone through all this conditioning that has portrayed boy and girl as like polar opposites. Um, so having those conversations and, and leaving room for like the expansiveness of what our world is and the complexity of what our world is, is not derailing for a four-year-old. I think it's just like part of the, all part of the, the wild things they're learning about the world at that age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear like an innocence, you know, a childlike innocence and all of that. And so it's really neat to, to still see that perspective on occasion without it being, um, you know, a tainted viewpoint. Well, I know for me, I just love the heart of your work too, um, especially around the Alliance for Suicide Prevention, specifically giving support to the LGBTQ plus community. This feels like something that would make a huge difference to, to lower those kinds of rates for this community. Like, I almost don't want to ask, but what is like the percentage that um, people that are in the LGBTQ plus space experience suicide tendencies compared to cisgenders? Yeah, it's a more kind of complicated question because there are a lot of different studies. Um, and one of the big problems with suicidality data for LGBTQ plus folks is that we are often erased in death. Most coroners will only track binary sex um, in death reports. Oh, wow. So there are lots of trans folks who die by suicide that, um, you know, we know about in the community, but you know, they are misgendered in their obituaries. They're not being shown to us in the graphs that we get from coroner's offices. Um, so I could get on a whole so soapbox about the problems wow. of that. I um, but what we do know from self-reported, um, attempt data and just like suicidality data is that, um, for LGBTQ plus adults, um, and broad, broader LGBTQ plus community, about one in two of us have seriously contemplated suicide. And we know that for transgender adults, um, in the United States, about 40% of us have attempted suicide and that is wow. 18 times the national average. So though, though we don't have death data, um, you know, we can suppose that we are dying at disproportionate rates as well, or at the right. very least, you know, experiencing really high levels of suicidality. Um, and one organization I'll just put a pin in is the, the Trevor Project. Um, they're a national nonprofit working with, uh, LGBTQIA youth and suicidality. They have a crisis line for youth. Um, and they have some pretty comp comprehensive, um, research that they've done, you know, polling like 30,000 youth across the country. So if you're ever looking for statistics about LGBTQ plus youth suicidality in particular, and, you know, kind of rates of like those who are misgendered versus those who feel they have supportive home environments and like, you know, what their attempt rates were that year. Um, that's a really good resource for a lot of statistics when you're, you know, in the, yeah. in the world of advocacy and needing to use some of those statistics to convince people of certain things. That's a really good resource. I think that that was an extremely powerful thing that you just said, just like this idea that you would be erased in death is, is heartbreaking. And I think the heart of the, so much of this particular conversation is, 
seeing humans again, right? And so erasing in death is like the polar opposite, clearly, of seeing just people for being people. And while it's heartbreaking, it it feels like um, why this conversation is so important to have. I am so grateful, Silen, because every time we talk, I feel like I learn more. And like I said earlier, it just integrates more and it is a, a part of just the way I get to relate with others on a more authentic level. And some of the things that I'm taking away is, is that sharing my pronouns and honoring other people's pronouns is purely just an act of respect. And if just for that, the conversation could have ended. And also just to really not press into too much when we make mistakes and to tap into humility, which is something that we value so much here. And if just for those two things, I, I am grateful to have this conversation and for you to share your experience and to be doing the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful to be here and be exploring these things together and exploring how to be human together. It's really what this all is about for me. Yep. Where is a good place that people can connect um, with you and your work more specifically? Yeah, so our Alliance for Suicide Prevention, we serve Larimer County, so in northern Colorado region. If your listeners are there, you can check us out at suicideprevent.org. We're not a crisis service, but we do have various peer support groups for folks who have lost loved ones to suicide, as well as folks who are experiencing suicidality. And you, know, you can re- read more about my LGBTQ plus specific work on the on the website as well. Um, and I'm I'm also like a composer and performance artist. I don't know if I should mention that, but Sweet. I have a website yeah. too. You can just silentwellington.com, at Instagram, silent underscore creature. Um, so those are other ways to connect if, if you're into that. Perfect. Oh, I love it so much. Thank you again, Silent. Yeah, thank you. Be well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash thirdplacepodcast.